Enterprise. Wake up, shake up your business. Hey Australia, this is Taylor Swift. Oh God, how could we resist with all this hype and sparkle? How could we not bring you a Swift cast? This week. I mean, it's not just the core business of catchy songs that makes Taylor Swift such a phenomenon, it's the business around it. There's been no one who so transparently and seemingly authentically does the business of show quite like our Tay Tay, right? So, just for you, on this episode of the best bits of the Good Ship Breakfast Enterprise, and let me tell you, there are quite a few best bits, so they're quite hard to choose, we bring you the essence of the Taylor Swift School of Business, whose business of show is to create through streaming apps and concerts a real sense of one-on-one intimacy, a real personal connection, not just between herself and the audience, like you, but between the fans themselves, that is, yous all. Can Taylor Swift teach you something in a a three-and-a-half-hour concert that you'd sleep through? in a Harvard Business Lecture. How does Taylor Swift sing to tens of thousands of people and make her business so personal? Is there anything in her magic that could help me or you? I thought this was an easy question when I started thinking about it for you today, but not really. Much of what I read in the Harvest business review and the like went down the path of bringing your whole self to work, using every mistake as an opportunity for personal growth, not wasting resources by hiding your insecurities or vulnerabilities and freely sharing information about family and aspirations. You should weave personal growth into every aspect of daily work. And I read that and I thought... exhausting. I mean, maybe I just want to go to work and get paid to be the most professional and adept at my skills as I can. Maybe the part of me that I wish to develop and share with the workplace is in my workplace toolbox. To be the best you can be at what you do, do you actually have to make yourself vulnerable and entwine to your colleagues, to your workers, to your managers? to your bosses or or do you have the right to emotionally disconnect or to never emotionally connect in the first place depends what you do and whether you want the relationship to be merely transactional or one of quality so let me tell that to you again bringing your whole self to work using every mistake as an opportunity for personal growth not wasting resources by hiding your insecurities or vulnerabilities and freely sharing information about family and aspirations. You should weave personal growth into every aspect of daily work. That's in the Harvard Business Review. Or maybe you could just pay attention to the songs of Taylor Swift. Maybe that's the way. So what are the business lessons to be learned from Taylor Swift? How much of business is giving without any thought of what you get? And is loving your job the true core to professional success? Could it be down to Taylor Swift love-bombing her audience? Kate Patterson, who was part of the steering committee for the Swift Posium at Melbourne University and Academic Conference on the economics of the Swift effect, certainly agrees. Because, Kate Patterson, Taylor Swift love-bombs her audience, giving them stuff with no expectation of anything in return 
and they just fall for it time and time again. Yeah, I think right from the beginning of her career, Taylor Swift has really spent the time investing in that relationship between her audience and herself. You know, right when she was starting in country, she was on MySpace, you know, she was, uh, you know, starting to rally people around her. And as she's just grown and grown and grown over the last almost 18 years, which is pretty incredible to think that, you know, Taylor Swift's had nearly a 20-year career already. But yeah, she's continued to do that. She's continued to spend the time showing different sides to herself and being that sort of quote-unquote best friend to these um, communities of people through the way that she connects, through her songwriting and through the way that she uses social media, which I think for a pop star like Taylor Swift, of the magnitude that she is, has been really important um, in, in really cultivating that very very, very engaged fan base that, as we say, is happy to wait for merchandise, is happy to buy multiple copies of different albums. You know, it's something that she's put that time in and her brand has put the time in. And, and as we've seen lately, it's it's really paid off. Kate Patterson, tell me about your PhD on the impact of fandom on Taylor Swift fans. Like, how has she changed how they behave as humans? Yeah, so my PhD is specifically looking at sort of how fans participate within these communities. So looking at the different ways that they connect with one another, um, but also the ways that they're productive. So what we see with Taylor's fandom in particular is that they love to be online. They love to create. They love to be, you know, tweeting about her or making TikToks about her. And that obviously helps when it comes to her career in terms of, um, you know, making sure that she's always within sort of the popular culture sphere. Um, But yeah, my specific research is looking at how participating in a fandom like that can teach young people a whole bunch of skills. It can teach them digital literacy. It can teach them, you know, video editing or writing or all these other things that come with sort of uh, being part of a really creative community. And that can be then sort of useful in other areas of life. Um, That's very interesting. So just because (laughs) they're part of this community and it gives them some sort of purpose for doing it because it gives them back a relationship. Yeah, so instead of being, I guess, sort of like a top-down traditional learning environment like they might have in school, because you've got this group of people who all have the same motivating factor that is supporting and connecting with Taylor Swift, it means that they're participating so much more because they're, you know, they've got that that real fan motivation and they connect with one another, they try to connect with Taylor um, and all of that is really important um, in, in what keeps them coming back time and time again, um, which as we've said, you know, is really important when you're trying to build uh, a brand or a career or all of these things is that constant connection. Kate Patterson is on the steering committee for the Swift Posium, which was an academic conference based on the economics and impact of Taylor Swift as a cultural and business phenomenon. I'm asking you, Kate, now whether or not Taylor's response to her fans is part of this burgeoning popularity because should she not respond, why would they continue to basically market her for her? I mean, this is earned media for her, is it not? Yeah, definitely. I think that's the thing we see is that fans kind of act as these unofficial promoters for artists like Taylor Swift. And, you know, obviously a lot of artists have success without investing in this kind of fan relationship. Plenty of pop stars release songs and, you know, have have great success for that. But I think a great example with Taylor is if we think of her re-recordings, which obviously she's not the first person to, you know, go after her masters and and try and do that re-recording process. But the reason it was so successful is because the fans 
fans got behind her and they said, you know what? Yeah, we're not going to listen to these old versions of these songs anymore. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to support that anymore. We're all going to shift our focus to these new versions that Taylor is doing. And I think without that, she wouldn't have had the success that she did in terms of breaking all of the records for the original albums and basically making them worthless for the people that bought them in the first place, which, again, I think had she not had that very engaged relationship with her fans and had them invest in what she was doing, it may not have been as successful for her, you know, for other artists that maybe haven't spent the time to do that over their career. Um, but, yeah, it was such a fascinating thing to watch, I think, over the last few years as those re-recorded albums have been coming out with, you know, just the new versions of the songs we've already got, plus obviously a few new ones in there as well. So part of a text exchange I had with a colleague was, what's your take on Taylor Swift? I reckon she's the personification of mediocrity. I truly don't get it. And I replied... Mm. Have you watched Miss Americana on Netflix? You'll get it. And yeah. the response was, should we have to watch her life story to get it? My assessment is based on her songs and performances, to which I replied, oh, you are a difficult woman sometimes. However, <laughs> my my take on it was that I think Taylor Swift is not just her music and her performances. I think her backstory informs the music and her performances and I think that that's what's so very interesting about her. I think the songs are, they're okay, they're a type, they're a genre. But having watched the media about her, which she's obviously created herself, Miss Americana, and the clips that are there about her online, I actually think her story is part of her success. It's not just her work. Yeah, definitely. I think I think there's two parts to that. I think... Having just recently rewatched Miss Americana, I think definitely, as we know, over her career, Taylor really has brought people in for the ride and they feel like they know her. And as as a celebrity and a billionaire, obviously, you know, she she's not that relatable on paper, but she's done that work to really bring people along and they feel like they do know her. And that's, of course, one of the reasons that when she releases a song, we have a particular connection to it because we know a bit about the story behind it. And I think she, the other thing is she writes artists, the songs about her life. Yeah. Exactly. And we know that. And so we've got that sort of investment as opposed to, you know, I'm just singing a pop song about yeah. whatever. But I think the other part of that too is that, you know, um, within sort of society, we have particular sort of perceptions of music where the genre of pop, which obviously Taylor has been uh, mostly releasing music in at the moment, is seen as this kind of inauthentic type of music that's only for young girls and is very mainstream. And I think for a lot of people who, yeah, haven't had the time to, to watch a documentary or to do these other things just kind of automatically go, oh, well, maybe the music's just not that good. And not everybody has to be a Taylor Swift fan. You know, obviously everybody has different music tastes, but I think there are some sort of ongoing perceptions around things like pop and things that have a predominantly female audience. Yep. The Taylor Swift phenomenon is an economy all of its own. I mean, who would have thought craft store spotlight would be overrun. Oh my God, everybody's buying like buckets of beads and they're getting heaps of sequin fabrics. I don't think I've ever seen so much sequin fabric fly out the door. We had to put up like a whole new display of sequins just for like all the Taylor Swift stuff because it's just sweeping through here. We've got these little tubs of like, I have no clue how much is in them, but like multicolored beads and strings and stuff set up so the girls can make their bracelets and they've got like little letter ones on them so they can spell out like all the... I guess Taylor Swift, uh, I think, Co album names? I can't remember what they are. I'm not a Swifty myself. I think they had to 
the Taylor Swift like concert, the official concert, had to put a limit on how many bracelets you can bring in. It had to be only what you could wear on your arm, so it was like 80 per person because people were attaching them to like carabiners to bring hundreds in because they trade them. Like hundreds of bracelets. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> That's extraordinary, Zeth. Hey, as our Gen Z correspondent for the week, what is the appeal? Why, why does she touch your heart and draw you to want to trade craft things with people you don't know? Well, I think obviously she originated. It came from a line in a song, um, make the friendship bracelets or whatever. And I think it's more so the fan response to her and the fact that people love her that have made the appeal of it. So like, because it was just a throwaway line. She herself didn't intend to make it this huge big thing, but it's the fans that have like really embraced it. So it's more to be a part of something bigger, the sum of the parts rather than just like individual categories of it, I guess. I'm what some people describe as like clinically insane about Taylor Swift and I just like having colourful beats on my wrist. What? But that, it's got to be more than that. What What caused this clinical ins- insanity? She just has this appeal, especially to like teenage girls. She's the relatability and obviously when you're a teenager, everything's just the most dramatic thing on earth. I was one of them, so that's not an insult. That's, you know recognition mm-hmm. and she's dramatic herself like we've seen at you know award shows she's just being herself she's like oh my god she's screaming she's crying she's just having a good time and like you see that and you're like wow celebrities are just like us as a cultural phenomenon what do you think she's done for the power or empowerment of young women like yourself oh i think especially recently with the taylor's versions it's this sense of agency like you know we've seen all these pop stars you know they've been part of quote unquote the industry they have their managers and it's very polished and you know a very thought out perception of self that they're presenting to the world whereas she has this sense of like agency and She's just herself. We have never, like, especially in her startup days, you never got the sense that there's this big boardroom of men in suits behind her saying, you should do this. It was all very authentic. And I feel like that speaks a lot to how people receive her. So how much do you think you spent on this tour alone? How much were the the flights, the concert ticket, the merch? Errors tour alone, I haven't gotten merch yet. That is a TBD, but I easily anticipate maybe three, four, five hundred dollars in merch. Really? Flights tickets oh yeah, I'm gonna get a lot. Like what? Uh, what are you gonna buy? Well a hoodie itself is like 120, 150 bucks. All right. Wow. And I when I was younger, I always wanted I always saw like, you know, the twenty two year olds with like the hoodies and I was twelve and didn't have a job. So my mum was like, I'm not buying you a one hundred dollar hoodie you will wreck it. So now I, with my own big girl money, can buy that myself. (laughs) So it's a coming of age thing. It really is. And that's why I spent so much money to go because I bought the most expensive tickets in Sydney. And I'm like, I have big girl money now. I can do this. I can fulfill my inner child and be front row and see everything I wanted to when I was in the nosebleeds for the red tour. Hang on. How much did you spend on the tickets, Anth? Can you tell me? Uh, The most expensive ticket, which I bought, was $1,300 each. (laughs) (laughs) So that must feel fabulous to blow that amount of money. Where will you be sitting? Oh, we're in, I think it's the front row. It's row A. Oh, Xanthi. Oh, how exciting. So this is kind of your empowerment. You've earned your own money. It's a coming of age moment. Yeah. And especially, like I said, like we've seen Taylor Swift like grow up with us and now we're entering our own. She's entering our own. It's like a very full circle moment for a lot of people because it's the errors to where we're getting to be nostalgic and reflect on everything that we did, especially if you went to past tours, you had like a favourite performance, and now you get to see it bigger and better than ever. How old are you now? I am 23. Right, so she's 32 or 33, is that right? 
Yes, born in 1989. Right. So she's not that much older than you, but she is old enough, older than you enough so that you could have grown up with her. Yeah, it was always like, uh, like you know, you see like teenagers when you're like 12 and it's like, oh, I want to do that so bad. It was th- that perfect age where it's like, she, I could be her when I'm older. So how hard was it, was it for you to get the tickets? Well, um, not to flex, but I have an Amex card, American Express card, and American How Express holders <laughs> got, got a um, pre-sale before the other pre-sales. So I, it was a bit of a challenge and I was stressed the whole time. It was a bit easier than the general on-sale that many people had to go through. There you go. The life of a Swifty, our very own Xanthi Van Trinen. So that's it for now. But if you liked what you heard and can't wait until next week for more of the best bits of the best of Enterprise Breakfast, you can tune into the live show on DAB Plus if you're in Brisbane, Sydney or Melbourne or online at Disrupt Radio everywhere else. Disrupt Radio. Tune in to Opportunity.